0: I I'm not very good at a television face. I have a radio face, I was told. So, uh we're going to look at we're going to tie up loose ends in God's word today. I want to show you a couple of things that uh the Lord put upon me and I will get I have the Samson and all that. We're going to work through This Wednesday, we'll look at the burnt offerings, and what does that have to do with Samson? Well, you'll find out real quick. We'll do that, and we'll look at the burnt offerings, which his mother offered and his father together offered before he was born in confirmation of their faith, and uh, conception was what they were looking for. She hadn't had any children, and that takes me to the first part of the message. I divided it up into three parts. One's uh, about bears, and we'll probably get to that one last, I believe. The other part is uh, conception, and I learned something this week. I'm a man of uh, science, I guess, to a degree, and we're going to look at chromosomes for just a minute. This isn't a science class. This is, this is just facts, and it, I think it'll help you. Yes. We talk about abortions. We talk about life, and the big issue you hear is, is, when does life begin? And the biggest argument you hear about, this is my body, and it has to do with the injections too. And that's where it all came about. Just bear with me, I'll try to lead you through it. You know, people say the coronavirus injection for building up an immunity to coronavirus, a lot of people have an objection to it truthfully i've had myself vaccinated but if i know what if i knew they were going to push it like they're pushing it now i would refuse it just on those grounds because we have a right to over what we have in our body we got it before it was even much of an issue because we wanted to travel back and forth to alaska quite a bit and it's very difficult to travel without that injections and in some other countries it's difficult to travel without other injections I had no objection to it myself personally because I used to line up in the military and get 17 or 23 shots at a time. So I says, what's another plug in my body? So, but it is a very personal thing between you and God that, that, and I have no problem with somebody who objects to it and I have no problem with somebody who doesn't object to it. Uh, I would say pray. Seek out, talk to your doctor, your personal physician, and then make results upon that. Make your decision upon that. But some simple facts about the virus are uh, pretty apparent. But one of the arguments uh, about whether I should get the injection or not, or whether somebody should get the injection or not, is you have a right to do with your own body what you please. The government's intrusion on that right is very apparent. And so uh, the abortionists, I'll bring that word up again, the abortionists have the same argument. I have the right to do with my body what I please. It's my body. After all, that's just a mass of cells, and you have no right telling me what to do with that mass of cells. Then they argue about when birth begins or when life begins. It's a mass of cells, and most of them will take the position that it's life when it breathes, when it breathes God's air. Oh, and I can see a little bit to that. You know, God breathed life into man. God breathed life into the church. But is that when they become a human being? When does that group of cells become a human being? Chromosomes are what you're made of. Chromosomes are parts of cells. Do you know what the biggest cell is? It's got a nucleus and... On outside, I I don't want to get into a deep science class. Chromosomes are these little things that look like threads and they go, they're found in all the cells in your body. The biggest cell in your body, or the biggest cell known to man, what do you think it is? Blood cell? I'm glad you're thinking. The biggest cell to man is an egg you have for breakfast. In that cell, if it's not fertilized, it can t- contains either Y or X chromosomes. When that cell is united with a male counterpart, and I'm not sure which one it is, I'd have to look back in my books, but uh, it, one, one, the two chromosomes unite in the X and Y chromosomes form. Every person has an X and Y chromosome. And it's what makes you a male or female. Now that gets into the big gender issue, doesn't it? They like to say that uh, how sports, how sports regulates whether you're a male or female, they used to go to the X and Y chromosomes in your body. But man's learned a way to uh, manipulate that and get around it. With injections and steroids and stuff, they can actually alter some of this. And there are things called morphodites, which do have maybe an XYY or an XXX. But basically, as the rule of science goes, as the rule of God's law goes, everything has an X or a Y. Everybody has an X and a Y chromosome. And when conception takes place... In the womb, all your, whether your hair is curly like blondies or whether it's handsome and good-looking like I and Brother Russell's, uh, you, have, uh, you have genetics, chromosomes in your cells that regulate that, that tell if your offspring's going to be that way. And uh, the combination all that goes down into making a human being. All those chromosomes are present when these two unite Right here. So an X and a Y unite. Okay, we have a man here. We have a woman here. I, I, I'm not quite sure which, which one indicates what. I'm suspicious. I think it's the man. Then there's the science, you know, this and all that good stuff. But we'll, when these two unite, a child is born. So, you got these two unite. So, you got X and Y over here, and you got X and Y over here, and they unite at conception, and all of a sudden, you have another X and a Y. When is, how many human beings are pictured here? Male, female. And I talked to a lady this morning, she was in church, she knows she's carrying a little boy. The X and Y's unite at conception, and there's another genetic human being formed at conception. It's not formed when it breathes, it's already there. Your color, your hair, your complexion, your stature, your height, your everything about you comes into play when those two unite at conception, there's three people on that board scientifically. Kinda neat and an eight. and you fall into that when you start putting together all the arguments the abortion people are just having a fit right now because we can use the same argument they can for when does life begin and so we can and i've known men that have tried to hire attorneys to defend their unborn child to keep it from being aborted and they go well we can't determine when life begins life begins when x and y chromosomes Meet and form. I think it's, what is it, 88 chromosomes as a former human being? I'm looking at Brother McDonald just because he handles numbers. Yeah, Mrs. Julie, how many chrom? do you know offhand? I think it's 88 or 86, something like that. Pardon? Chromosomes. How many chromosomes do we carry? Yep. Yeah, okay, there you go. 44 and four. you know, 42 whatever, and 44, whatever. I don't want to check my math, 46. They unite and form chromosomes. And sometimes there's little problems with that unite, and that's where we have birth defects or problems with uh, individuals. But that's all laid out, and at the instant these two unite, that's when life begins. There's three human beings there. It's kind of neat. That's one thing I learned this week. Another thing I learned this week was uh, uh, that I make mistakes. (laughs) And yeah, Mrs. Ensley's sick in her head, yes. (laughs) My wife says, don't apologize. But last week I lectured uh, you on colons and semicolons. Do you remember that? I do. I had a colonoscopy earlier that week. (laughs) And I gave myself another one later with that a colon, let me go over that, and that was with the- that was that was with the verses in judges chapter eleven, <laughs> chapter twelve. We look at judges chapter twelve, and that's when we're getting into the story of samson and we talk about vows. remember we touched on vows the last time we were together in the evening, and it came to pass at the end of two months that the that she returned to her father. We're talking about the story of Japheth and his victory in Judges chapter 11. Then there's one chapter between chapter 11 and 13. That's chapter 12. And it talks about when Japh- Japheth dies. And then it goes into the birth of Samson and the Nazarite vow. Isn't that neat how those two come together now? My Bible opens up and I can see one on one side of the page and one on the other side of the page. And on one side of the page, chapter 13, talks about Samson, his birth, and his Nazarite vow. And on the other side, it talks about Japheth and how he made a false vow or a negligent or loose vow unto God, and it cost him his daughter. And then we went on to explain about how, if you read it properly and study your English, you can find out there's no problem with him. He did not kill his daughter. In fact, his daughter lived longer than he did, and, but she never bore any children. Because genetically, back here, you know, back here in genetics, she wasn't allowed to have an X and Y chromosome unite in her body and form a child. And in, in, that, ansi- in that incident, then the whole bloodline of Jehaphat came to a screaming stop, and he wrote himself out of the scriptures wrote himself out of the history of Israel, and he was dead in the history of Israel. His daughter was as dead. She was visited from time to time, it tells you in Scripture, and they mourned for her. In fact, when she got the news, she mourned for two months that she was never going to marry and carry on the family's bloodlines. Very primitive people, weren't they? Oh, no, they understood a lot more about genetics than we do sometimes. And they understood how important it was to preserve life and to preserve life before at conception. All right, so I determined that in verse verse 39. Look at it. And it came to pass at the end of two months that she returned unto her father who did with her according to his vow, which he had vowed. His vow was he was going to kill the first thing that walked out of the house not the dog or the pigeons or the chickens. The neighbor's got chickens that walk out. That uh, was his daughter. It was a foolish vow. Well, can God command somebody to sin? Can God tolerate sin? What uh, You get all kinds of theological problems with this. And it depends on what Bible you're reading. And I researched it, and you see here how it reads. Uh, the good English Bibles, Wycliffe's Bible, Bible, uh, Reims English Bible. There's a couple more. They use a colon here, and this is where you see it in the verse. And it came to pass at the end of two months that she returned unto her father, who did as with her according to his vow, which he had vowed, colon, and she knew no man. And it was cu- as it was custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went yearly to lament the daughter of Jehaphetheth, and for days and years. She was, uh, that semicolon is the same, excuse me, the colon. I was very consistent the other day. I was kind of proud of myself I had it consistent, but I had the wrong address. A colon is, it introduces a list of items. And uh, an example I've got written here right out of an English book is the, the book specializes in three subjects, colon, art, architecture, and bears, because we're going to bears next. I just want to see if you're listening. The part the part we want to concentrate on is a secondary me- me- meaning of a colon, and that is it's uh, between two independent clauses. Those are sentences that can stand alone, and they're joined by a conjunction and or or but. If they're joined by a con- 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 conjunction and or or but, that uh, makes them. a Compound sentence, or it makes them. If you take the and or a but out, you can put in that other tricky little thing called a semicolon. A colon is two dots. We have a colon there, it's two dots. A semicolon is a dot with a little comma. You can find them on your typewriter keys, your computer keys, and whatnot. The, this one in the secondary use, which I just read you, brings emphasis and clarity to what came before it. It's two conjunctions. The boy, ran, the boy runs in the park, semicolon, he is very fast, describes how the boy runs. That there tells you he did to, uh, he fulfilled his vow. And she knew no man. And after that, it's a period. He didn't kill her. She knew no man. And then it goes on and verifies itself. And the daughters, they lamented. They went and visited her every year. That puts a lot of resolution to that particular theological problem. But you won't get that out of any other Bible unless it's one of the better translations into the English text that, uh, like the King James Bible, the RSV, the NSV, New News for Modern Man, all those, all the ones that a lot of people who don't think God could be mean and ornery and ugly, like the bear, and... God only is about love. Most of those people don't have good translations. I'll tell you that right now. And it starts right here with incidences like this. They don't have clarity of God's word. I don't blame them. I, uh, they, uh, some people don't. But they're still saved, a lot of people. But you'll find a lot of these big theological problems that you hear, MacArthur, and, and I'm naming names, and the guy with the all the hair that me, that I just, what is his name? Big black hair and the nice teeth. He was the son of a Baptist preacher. I'm glad you don't know his name. I. Uh, America's pastor. Cole, yeah, I, I get jealous of his hair. Cole Olsteen. He those, those kind of guys, they're reading out of a paperback Bible to begin with. And then they you give them a question like this and they'll preach for three weeks on it and don't know what they're talking about. At least... I I have for trouble always articulating what I'm talking about, and I apologize for that mistake. But that was the clarity and the point of the message we had last time we were together on that. And I just wanted to kind of wrap that up and let you know. Some guys, sometimes the advice is never admit you make mistakes, but we all make mistakes. My feet are as clay just like yours. Uh, I enjoy... Uh, flattery, I enjoy somebody complimenting me just as much as you do. And I'm going to take a moment and compliment you people for being patient with me and bearing through some of my mistakes as I, some of you who mastered English. You know how I got through English in college? I knew I was going to flunk it the first time because I was so poor in English in high school. I had to take it twenty three times it was in the four years I was in high school and <laughs> so when I get to college i go i 'm going to get ahead of this mark i 'm going to take it in summer school, and when they have it like for eight weeks every day of the week, I went to walked over, went over to the university, and took it then and i says i'm going to take it summer school and when I flunk it they uh, I'll be able to take the same teacher, because I see she offers it in the first semester, and I'll take the same teacher and get things right, keep my notes and study, and just get through it the second time. Well, that, that was my plan, and it would really work, but I didn't need it. God wanted me to get through college, through the secular college, without a lot of damage, and he did so, and the way he did that particular English class was I got there, and we're sitting there on the first day of school, all our pencils and books out, you know, and there's the teacher, and she's telling us how these new computers have this thing called spell check on them. And she said she didn't care if we used it or not. And then she says, you know, this is an eight-week... And by the way, she says, this is only an eight-week course, and I usually teach, and it's 10 to 12 weeks, but it's stretched out different days, but it's pretty intense, and well, i want to get you on and get you through this college So we're going to skip some chunks of this. One of the chunks she skipped was spelling and vowels, and they were going into the New English, so all they worked on really was sentence structure, which is what I needed to know my Bible. Now, I've already talked to Brother Jim, and I have a little thing in the back of my Bible. You can take a look at that and pass it around. This has helped me to understand I got this on the back so somebody sees it, they might think it's worth something. But this is my cheat sheet. Hand it to your mom and hand it around. And right there, I wrote it in the margin of my Bible, what a colon and semicolon was right there at that verse. But that's my little cheat sheet. I've carried that in my different Bibles for over 20, maybe 30, 40 years. And just kept it forever. For, when I was in secular college, was studying at home is when I made that. It's pretty old, but it's in my Bible, sort of like somebody's wedding certificate or something. But I've used that to study God's Word. Now, when I said I checked with Brother Jim Stevens, I want to make use of one. And there's all kinds of them on the internet, but. They're they're this big, so we're going to work on reducing it. And He said he'd laminate it, and I'm going to try to get you each one to have in your Bible. So when you're up here teaching Sunday school class or struggling to understand something, you just whip that thing out, and it'll help you. It's simple punctuation, and you'll find that the verses, I also have a Bible. I got at Wycliffe Bible Institute. I also have a Bible that's the King James Bible with all, all the addresses in it. It reads twice as fast, and it's divided up into paragraphs, and it really helps to get through it. When you're reading, they proved it, you know, subliminal messages and everything else. When you listen and you hear subliminal messages, you probably went through that in the 60s and the 70s. They put them on their messages, on their rock and roll and all this. Play the thing backwards, play your tape backwards, see what they say and and all that. Subliminal messages are when your conscience doesn't register what you're actually seeing or hearing. And when you're reading your Bible with all those addresses in there, and I'm not against those addresses, Lord help us, it's really a blessing to have them to find them. But if you want to read your Bible and get more out of it, have a copy without those addresses. It reads much smoother. You don't get this every time like John 3.16. You don't get the message, John 3.16. You just get the message, For God so loved the world he gave his only begotten Son, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's not John 3.16, is it? Okay, and then he came into the world not to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved or whatever. You can just flow right through. It's a lot easier to memorize. It makes more sense because that's how people talk. We don't go uh, Alpha, Mea 2, 3, 5, and hello, how are you? We, we, those numbers don't mean much to us. Subconsciously, they do help. In fact, though, to find and keep people on the same page. Don't get me wrong, but those that whole that whole uh, group of numbers, and you probably heard me talk about it, was put in by a priest, Catholic priest, to make it easier to read it. Back when the Catholics, years and years and years ago, about four hundred AD, six four to six hundred AD is when those letters. Were introduced, those addresses, by a sincere individual who read his Bible. Could have been saved then. And so those were introduced by man to help you study it. So was the red print, by the way. And I find it useful to read the red print. It's helpful. It's a blessing to read that red print sometimes. But when it gets down to it, God said everything that's in there, every bit of it's the Word of God. And the commas and the colons and the semicolons are all the Word of God, and they have purpose in place. And mark it down when you start dropping any of those. Even the S's on the end, the sentences, the capitalization. Oh, it's much easier to read with all those capital letters in the middle of everything. Yeah, you lose the meaning of the Trinity real fast. So mark down what you're reading. Now, I come from a cut of preachers that go so fanatically sometimes. You can go to the other extreme with it. And one of the reasons I separated from the college I was teaching at is they were starting to promote that you had to get saved by the King James Bible, which is a hockey puck. Yeah, you know, you're talking all the saints that were born before this Bible in six before 1611 are on their way where purgatory you want to stretch the truth? Let's put purgatory in there. Okay, so there's one thing we talked about was chromosomes, births, vaccinations. We talked about our word of God and respecting and loving it and cherishing it and understanding it. I'm going to try to get you, brother. Jim and I are going to get together, and some of you teachers, if you see something, that would be good. There is one sold uh, on that, uh, uh, the real popular magazine, and now it's all over the internet, uh, CBC, CBC, they have uh, something, they have a study sheet with English and all that in it, but it's three-page trifold. I mean, (laughs) you're not going to carry that in your Bible all the time and use it. A lot of of good homeschool material as I cruise through there, but most of it's in an 8 by 10 or in a wall format, poster format. So I've taken some of those and reduced them, and I've printed, and I'm going to try to use some biblical examples, like what's the longest verse in the Bible? What's the most repeated verse in the Bible? What's the shortest verse in the Bible? Most of you know that. I memorized that right away. Jesus wept. But those are designated by punctuation. The very thing that the closest translation to the King James Bible happens to be the Reims, in English anyways, the closest thing to, not the Latin Vulgate, but the King James Bible, the closest thing translated to that is the Reims Catholic Bible. Because they had priests that sat down and enslaved themselves to study it and write it down in English and translate it. And I mean literally enslaved themselves. Martin Luther was one of those. And when he got through reading it, he walked out of the Catholic Church. (laughs) So uh, the first thing they drop is jots and tittles, commas, repeated verses. Why does God repeat anything? For emphasis, for clarity, and for substance. And if I work real hard, I can get them all to make Cs, but uh, I'm not preaching that tonight so those are two things the last thing i want to go over with is kind of rough and coarse and i don't know any way to do it but i'm a little stiff today i've got a disc in my back that's irritated know all about it headed it for 100 years taught myself to walk without with all the lower vertebrae froze together and i can i'm in the process of moving so it's hard for me to move A lot of things. I need to hire some kids to help us unload the church, uh, the cargo trailer I got out there, and all that's in there is a queen-size bed, mattress, and a little buffet. They're not very heavy, but I need help on on taking that off Sometime this week, if you guys can get together, come on over. I have my grandson who's going to come and work on the lights in the church this week. His car went down or he'd be here tomorrow but I'm in the same thing I'm moving around at ho- at the house. I'm moving out of the place we were at you were at yesterday and we're moving into a place that God gave us, a little miniature house just like the one across the street. It's cool. I it's it's just and it was made for us. And the man leaving that house was was probably looking at a terminal situation in his illness and we got it before he even put it on the market. He's always dealt with our son on various things and respected him and he told him and we got this place for a song. We're taking the canning goods out of the cupboards. It was the he left with a pickup load of his own stuff. Everything else is in that house. We we have we have cupboards full of jam and Peppers and stuff. Some of it's older than our granddaughter that went through it. <laughs> but what I'm saying is God can bless, and He blessed us with that. So I'm a little down in the back, as the cowboys used to say. And it's probably from cowboying a lot in my day. So just a little bit that. So I come into church this morning, and the bears attacked the garbage can. You guys know that. They attacked the garbage can, and that thing was bolted one way, and I. Uh, are bolted, locked one way. He's chewed that padlock up so much. I locked it up in the in the middle of the night. Uh, it's been a real ongoing contest. But brother Dill, in his position uh, and uh, his position at work and stuff, he has talked to the right people and got us one of these. In fact, the whole street has it, and they have a bear trap at one end of the street down here. That end of the street. They should put one here. That bear was so big that took and tipped over the big garbage can out here. He took your garbage like a lunchbox and ran off in the woods with it. And I see the neighbor that I got this one from, he's got one sitting in his backyard too that the bear took off. They just take the whole thing. We're lucky we got a big one. And because of the church and we got people and we got banquets and little kids that leave diapers here, and there's nothing wrong with that, the bears love that stuff. So they pick on that thing. That was full of insulation, basically, some old insulation that was out here in the shed. And he he scooped through it and pawed at it. I don't know how much he opened it up, but it was getting sloppy. I could get my arm in there when I come this morning. And uh, he uh, tore it all up. That was bad. So I'm out there bending over, getting my back sore, and I'm going, ah, it's just, I shouldn't be doing this. I just got to take it easier a couple days, and I'll be just fine. Then I come in the church, and lo and behold, the bear had been in the church. There's big old tracks back here where they, he came in the back door and muddied it all up, and there's dirt on the seats. We washed some of them off, and the, the seats and the chairs were still up against the wall. And they were all put off to the side. And I'm coming in here, barely making it into church at 20 minutes to 9. And the place is tore apart. And I'm sure a bear did that because if anybody who was here involved in the ministries and they moved the chairs around, they would put them back because they're much more smarter than a bear. And I know most of the people here have had mothers and fathers, and they tell you to put it back when you're done. So the new rule here is going to be when you are involved with the ministry of the church, I don't have no problems. Have them come in. we got wonderful people that have ministries outside as far as even music lessons and stuff. Leave it like you found it. I'm not going to tolerate putting all all these up against the wall, all these seats up against the wall, and coming in on Sunday morning and they're all up against the wall. When you leave, you're going to leave with it. Now, we're going to get trustees here pretty soon. I'm going to be filling out a little recommendation ballot, and I'm going to take your recommendations for trustees and deacons, and then we're going to have those. They're going to get a key to the church. Those are the ones you're going to see with a key for this church. If you want to get in here for another outside event, and you can't get a hold of trustee or me, you'll have to get a hold of us ahead of time. That way I know who's in the church.